Good morning. Let's have a very short prayer before I get started. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to be in this room together with this word from your book for our souls. Help us to listen and with an open heart, not just as if it's just another thing we do, but as you are yourself are here speaking to us. Help me to listen to the very words that you lead me to say from this word of God, just as much as those who hear it. Amen. When I was in grade school at Caldwell Elementary School, sometimes the teacher would need to leave the classroom. I don't even know if they are allowed to do that anymore. And she would say, somebody, she'd pick a a student and say, you need to take names of anyone who gets out of their seat or misbehaves. Have any of you ever experienced that going to school? You have, okay. Well, I always hated it if she picked me because that put me right in the middle of my, you know, the fellow students and, and uh, the teacher. Uh, a few times, whoever took names had to take my name down too. Uh, we would try to get into all kinds of trouble, us mischievous boys, and every now and then, the, the room even got kind of noisy. And sometimes, I remember this, while the teacher was gone, because the whole school, this is 45 to 50 years ago, the whole school had an intercom system. There's no videos observing in the classroom, right? In the middle of all of our antics while the teacher was gone, Mr. Roberts, the principal's voice, would come over the intercom. And he had been listening all along while she was out of the class because she had told him that she was going to be gone. And he'd start calling us by name of the voices that he heard in the room. Wow. That was frightening and Wonderful all at the same time. It's like God was watching the classroom, the principal, big, tall Mr. Roberts. It's happened to me several times as a pastor, but there's one in particular that I remember back, really it was when I was a vicar, where I was bearing down hard on a 36-year-old son that was living with his mom, and he had... He had very, uh, he, he, she was asking him to listen to the word of God, come to faith, and get going in his life. She wasn't in the room, and he just interrupted what I was saying, and he said, you know, you think my mom is really nice because she's always really nice around you, but when you leave, she's really mean. Now, after hearing those two stories, I just want you to look at the first two verses with me, and then it's on your folder, it's on the yellow insert. Paul writes, to the Philippians, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's the same thing, isn't it, going on there? When a strong leader, by position or personality, is in the presence of people who admire and respect them, we will, if they're in our presence, we will toe the line. But when they're gone, in a way, the pressure's off. And we start to fall back to, oftentimes, misbehavior. Even adults do it. We just maybe do it in a little more socially acceptable ways. The Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome he had started the church in Philippi. The entire, every church he started was this way, was built on the message of God that had come to town with Paul, and people had come to know God. They had 
they had confessed that they realized they were living a selfish life. They came to God and said, I don't want to be that anymore. I, I believe in this son that you sent for us, and I want to be something different. And while Paul was there teaching and preaching, it went really well. And they loved gathering around him, and they got charged by the messages that he was teaching, and it built up their life, and their life was better. And truth be told, that's why half of the reason that many of us are here in church is that we know our life is, spiritual life is healthier and better, and we're right if we're here, right, frequently. But then Paul moved on, and he moved on to do other mission work, and then he got arrested, and then he got sent to Rome, and he knows people. And so when he writes them this thank you letter, because they had sent a gift to him, he says, just as much as when I was there, now even in my absence, I want you to live a life of obedience to God from faith in your heart. In other words, it doesn't need to depend on a human leader. In fact, it's not as sincere or true to God if our obedience is for the human leader that helped bring us the Word of God or was assigned to watch, take names and watch over us. He says, do it as much in my, even more in my absence than you would in my presence. This Word of God that was first written to the Philippians is left out there for all of us to help us sift through and filter our motives for Christian living. Why do you want to be a good person? Is it just because life is better that way? Is it just because you'll have a good reputation that way or avoid a bad one? Is it so that someone you admire and respect will be happy or someone that you don't necessarily admire but would be on you if you didn't do it would get off of your back? None of that is pure motives. Why do you want to be a good person? It's not even to get God off your back or just to stay out of hell. So a passage like this is very purifying. So here's what Paul says. Live before God with fear and trembling, working out your salvation, because he's working in you your salvation. Hmm. We certainly know that salvation is a free gift and that Jesus did all the work. But here's the deal. The God that worked for us is also our God that works in us. And when he was working for us, he was working for our salvation of our entire life. In other words, not just the salvation of your soul to get you to heaven, but you can trash your soul the rest of your life because, hey, you got to take it to heaven. No, he saved your life for your life to be salvaged so it wouldn't be a waste anymore. That's why God saved it. Right before these words in his letter is the famous, and you've probably heard them, where he says Jesus was God himself, but he did not consider that something to be grasped. So while he walked the earth, he didn't actually grasp it and flaunt it. He actually let his life be lived out in the humility of a sinner's life for our sake. And he even went all the way to a hard, torturous, gruesome death. That all is in the passages right before this. 
Therefore, this is the passage, God has therefore, after he's died and rose, risen again, he's exalted Jesus to have the highest name above all names that the name of Jesus every knee would bow. And then comes this chapter. Therefore, God exalted Jesus above everybody else. Therefore, work out your salvation and live in obedience to God. Work it out with fear and trembling. Live in obedience to God, even in the leader's absence. Because you're living it before Jesus, who's exalted above everyone else. Who's got more than an intercom watching our lives through his holy heart-reading, life-reading, omnipresent power. So maybe to help purify your motives that you would live before him, working out your salvation, it would be helpful. Just for a minute, do this with me. We won't do it for very long. Close your eyes and think about the cross. You have your own vision of what Calvary looked like. So just, it's you and Jesus, and he's on that cross. So have your eyes closed. He's on that cross, and it, you know it was a six-hour experience, and he's already been scourged, and there's nails in his hands, and you're seeing that, and you're hearing the gasps because he has to stand up on that spike in his feet to breathe, and you're hearing the words from the cross, and you're hearing, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then in the darkness of the deepest part of the suffering, he's gasping, Why have you forsaken me? And then at the end, it is finished. I commend my spirit into your hands, Father. And you hear that last, and then Easter comes, and he's out of the grave. You can open your eyes now. And Jesus says to you, I saved you because I love you. God the Father was looking through me at the cross, and he saw every thought, every word or deed you'll ever do that's wrong and I took it all you're safe and you're saved when you take a trip to the cross and there'll be much in your own personal meditative life much longer and deeper than that when you take a trip to the cross it, it makes you say things like this to God in your prayers what can I do to live a life of thanks for what you did for me Something like that. You'll just feel that. I, I'm grateful to you for saving me. You know what his answer is? Allow me to work in you to make your life completely a life of committed love. That's his answer. Allow me to work in you to make your life a life of complete committed love. That all of your motives spring from love for me and love for people. Let me work that salvation. That's the, that's the life I've always wanted when I made Adam and Eve and all, and all people. I've always wanted. And that's what was wasted when you were living only for sin. And I took all the guilt away, but I also now replace it. And it let me work inside of you in the rest of your earthly life to make you a loving person beyond what you can ever imagine with your own mind. That's what he says. When you think about what that might be, God, how do you want me to live a life of love? You might say, well, what, what, what does that look like? Well, it, it certainly means you keep the big ten, right? The, the ten commandments. Don't misuse his name. Have, have no idols. Don't misuse his name. Remember the, the, the Sabbath day. That means to honor his word and be glad to hear it and learn it. Honor those in authority, especially your parents. Don't murder. 
or hurt human bodies, not even your own. Don't steal or kill or lie or, or covet. But isn't it interesting what shows up in Paul's letter next? It's not one of the big ten, but it's big to God because he inspired Paul to say this is what it's this is what a life of committed love is. Therefore, my, go to the next uh, passage. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Really? I mean, that's just one of the little sins, isn't it? To be complaining? No. It's actually huge. Because if you are grumbling and complaining you are not working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are not letting God work in you the same way he worked for you. In fact, a life of thanksgiving without grumbling and complaining is all over the New Testament as a will, the will of God. In fact, if I said Romans 1, you really good Bible students that, that have been reading Romans for a while, you know Romans 1 is about how the, the unbelieving world has gone headlong into rebellion, homosexuality, all the idolatry, gross idolatry. Paul's writing about the Romans. And this is what he says at, at the end of this long list of what we would call the big ten sins. He says, they would not acknowledge God as God, that's idolatry, nor were they thankful. Nor were they thankful. The God who sees your heart wants no grumbling in there, no arguing in there. This isn't just like, don't just, this isn't just about between you and others, but it's happening in your soul. This is when you're asked to go beyond what your own will wants to do in order to serve God and people, and you are tempted to grumble. It, it's that way when he asks you to, to serve him through suffering serious illness, but still serve me. Or serve him while one of your dearest loved ones is dominating your life with whatever problems that they're having. He says, no grumbling, no arguing, no feeling sorry for yourself. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's, that's the mark that you're letting me work inside of you. And that's a huge mark of a believer in the minds of people who cannot see or find God. Did you hear what I said? The joy of a Christian is a huge marked difference than a life without faith, which always leads to grumbling and arguing in some way, even if it's internal. So that's what, look what Paul says. Every, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You're out there as this bright light in a crooked and warped generation. And then he throws in an illustration. Then you will shine among them. You'll stick out like a star in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and then I, the apostle, will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. We'll stop right there for a minute. He's telling them, while I'm gone, and now, of course, we're, they're all gone, they're in heaven, but while he's not with them, okay, he's telling them, and then therefore us, you'll stick out and shine like a star in the dark sky 
against the backdrop of all of humanity and they cannot help but see and wonder what it is that gave you such joy because it's so real. Joy and thankfulness in no matter what your circumstances is generated by God working in you and it's real. I don't know if you watch this guy very much. We are kind of trained to go be in, in the house when it's dusk or dawn and most of the night, right? But if you're outside, and especially if you're outside the city, you see more stars. But even in the city right now, if you look to the eastern sky in the early morning dawn, there's a very, very bright light. Have you noticed it lately? It's in the eastern sky. It's Venus. And in November, it's very, very bright. And the moon has been, been almost, it was full the last couple days, you know, not you know, for one day, and then it's starting to wane again. But th- this morning when I went out, the moon was straight up, and it, you can see, right, with the moon like that, but still, and there was a foggy cloud over my neighborhood. And you could still look through the clouds, and there were two lights in the sky that shine brightly, the moon and Venus. I mean, it's not near as bright as the moon, but it's still really bright, shining through the foggy sky. That's the picture that that Paul is painting for us. So think about the last time you wandered at the beauty of the sky and saw something bright in the sky other than the moon and thought, wow, this is just gorgeous, this is amazing, or saw all the stars. That's what God says Christians are on the earth. I, God himself, by himself, does not go visibly into the places where you move. He sends you there. And you're this beautiful, little, thankful, wonderful, ungrumbling, happy, joyful, I'm a redeemed child of God, light. That he wants the people that work with you to hear. The people that live with you to see and touch and see your gratitude and love. He, he's in that church with you, this one, and he wants you to not be a grumbler or a complainer because that way you confirm that his gospel is real. Because the mark today in this sermon, in this text, that God is working inside of you is that you are not a grumbler. It is not a small sin to be ungrateful and be grumbling. Remember how I started in prayer? It's really hard to preach this because I'm prone to that, being a grumbler. But I'm thankful that God put this in his word because it purifies me. Because I want to let God work in me just like I want you to let him work inside of you too. A grumbling attitude will kill volunteerism. I mean volunteerism in a friendship, volunteerism in a marriage, volunteerism in a church, volunteerism in at work. The funnest way to go to your job is to be there as a volunteer, not because there's a salary, because you have to. But the grumbling, that will just ruin all of that. You see, Jesus... When God the Father said, who will go and save humanity? It's going to be the hardest thing that any human being has ever done. His own son said, I'll do it. And he came and did it for everybody. 
Now Jesus wants you to raise your hand and say, I'll do it through this problem or that one that you let come my way. I will not let them define my attitude. My attitude's going to be defined not by any other person's attitude around me. I'm going to shine because of your love that's inside of me because I am so thankful that you saved my soul and kept my life from being a waste. And you know what? If it's hard for me to live a pure life, I'm going to still do it because it's joyful. If it's hard for me to do the right thing, I'm still going to do it because it's joyful. That's you cooperating with God as He works out your salvation into your life. And the world's going to look at you and say, they're different and I see real faith. They're not looking for perfection. They know that we're not perfect, but they want to, they're looking for something real. And it's in the joy that we have of being truly redeemed. Now Paul is inspired to write this, but he also is all in in writing this. Inspiration wasn't just like God channeled it through a conduit of a man, but he didn't really believe it himself. Paul is all in on this. And he is incarcerated for being a missionary. And he's writing back to them. And he's gone through all kinds of trouble in Philippi. He got beat. Remember he and Silas in jail in Philippi? And he's writing back to the Philippians. And they are now experiencing some persecution. Life is not easy on this planet. You may have had a hard time listening to Psalm 90, but that's why I chose it. So you would see that Moses, who wrote about life, said it's, gonna, it's hard, God, because of, we're sinners. There's this constant pressure that trouble and sorrow is a part of this whole human life mixed in with all the joys and pleasures. And then we face you as a judge. Oh, God, be our Savior. Give us your, unfaith, your faithfulness in the morning and teach us to number our days. Same theme, isn't it? Paul knew all of that. And while he was a missionary, he was also a man who had to live out his life under the all-seeing eye of his Savior who redeemed him. And he knew that grumbling and complaining was big. And if he was out there preaching all the greatest sermons in the world, but he was a big grump, he was denying the message that he taught. So look what he writes here at the end. Verse 16, if you can find it in the middle on the screen, or you can find it in your Bible or on the, on the, in this folder. He says, then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and you will be able to, and then he says, I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain when I, he means when I came and preached to you. And then he says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And then the next line is, please be glad and rejoice with me also. Let me explain this last picture and then we're just about done. In the Old Testament, there is a place in Exodus where God's telling Aaron and Moses how to lead the people to do sacrifices. And one, excuse me, one of the sacrifices was to bring a lamb without blemish in the morning and the evening for the whole nation of Israel. And then God said, on, after you kill the lamb and you put it on the fire, you bring a, a quart of, of olive oil and you pour that over it as a drink for God, a drink offering. So God is consuming the lamb, and now he's consuming a drink, the olive oil, which was very precious for all of them and very valuable. He said, then also bring this other uh, 
other oil. I forgot what it was, but it's another kind of oil. And pour that over it, and it's a drink offering. So the picture is, they are the lamb who's having to stay happy and peaceful and thankful while they're going through a difficult circumstance or something they didn't want to do because they're doing it because they're a redeemed child of God and they're a light shining in the world. And there's Paul up in prison doing the same thing. And he says, my life is the drink offering poured on your life and we fellowship together. So here's the point. I'm going to be real concrete so you can understand it, all right? Just, just because I'm the one talking today. If I'm serving God with as much heart as I can to try to be as cheerful as I am while I live with illness and the loss of my parents and a sister and all the other issues that I have in my family, in my life, it's a drink offering if it's poured on top of you doing the same thing. You're living with joy with all the problems that you have in your life. But if you poop out on me and you say no I'm just going to be a big grump then I'm not fellowshipping with you in that struggling to let God's salvation be the main thing and be a light and I'm going to pour that on top of you and then we can flip it upside down if I'm being the big grump and you're the one with all of your struggles in life but you're, sh- you're living out the joy of being a redeemed child of God that's on their way to heaven and living under the shadow of God's grace and I'm being the big grump, I have just left the fellowship with you. So now imagine in the family if everyone's taking turns being the big grump. Or in the church, everybody's taking turns being the big grump. How we are lonely and in and out of fellowship with one another because we're all choosing our pity parties around each other. We're not actually living out the faith and love of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He goes, on the day of Christ." I brought you this beautiful gospel that changes us from within and makes us different. We shine like stars. And I want to not go there and say, God, I saw your gospel change those Philippians. And he goes, well, they really, they kind of got, you know, washed out and they just walked. He goes, I don't want to be embarrassed on the last day. God wants us to be happy. And he is giving us everything we need to be happy. On top of Jesus is his grace every day and his promise to be with us and so many blessings that he pours on top of it even though he's asking us to be happy through difficult circumstances i didn't invent this idea i'm going to share with you a pastor did that uh, affected one of our members because he heard it online and so he went and bought it so then later I, i picked up on the idea so i'm going to share it with you now and then we're going to be done here um, this is a little blue rubber bracelet, on one, and, and this is what it says. It says, Philippians 2, the verse we're studying, it says, in all thing, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. What the, the people wear these, right, as reminders. The old Jews, back in the Bible days, they wore phylacteries. They were little leather pouches, and they put a Bible verse on a piece of paper in it. They put it around their wrist, or they'd tie it around their forehead. They maybe put it on their vest. And that, having that verse on them reminded, like when we wear a cross. So these are the modern-day phylacteries for Christians. A lot of people wear them. People that are not Christians wear them for their own reasons. They have things written on them that they want to remember. But this says, do all things without complaining. Now remember, I said that Paul is telling us this is big. That's why this is a neat idea. So this pastor said, why don't you wear this for 30 days? And if you catch yourself complaining... Inwardly or outwardly, you got to take it off 
and put it on the other hand. So then, so then you're making a note. And you're, you're, what, see, that's working out your salvation, isn't it? That's actually participating rather than just complaining away until somebody calls you on it. But in a Christian family or Christian friendship, you can gently call each other on it. Hey, that was grump, being grumpy. Put it back on the other side. You do that three times in a 10-minute period, you may start to get the message <laughs> that you're a little more grumpy than you think you are. So you don't even have to buy them. They're right there in the back in the hallway if you want to do it. You don't have to do it. It's your choice. They're in a little plastic container right there in the narthex. Maybe you want to do that. Today is November 25th. You want to do that till December 25th, Christmas Day, and take it off. That'd be cool. If you don't choose to do that because, hey, this is not your thing, guess what? The passage has to be your thing. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do life without the passage. So choose the passage as your own today. It was preached into your heart. Let God's salvation make you a joyful person so you can help God as a steward of your life that he didn't want to be wasted. That's why he saved it. You can help your life shine so another person will find Jesus. That's what makes life meaningful. Amen.